Oh, no, you don't. Oh, you don't know. Oh, no, you don't know. Every Friday night, growing up in high school, we would have these pep talks by my coach, Mark Stanley. I played American Gridiron when I was in in high school, and um, our team would come together every Friday night, either off-site in a bus ride, long bus ride through California to get to your high schools, or the home game where the cheering and the band is playing and all that's going on. And our coach would bring us together, Mark Stanley. He was the guy that get right in your face, and he would yell, and you would get hit with spit in such a way that it would just motivate you to listen so you can get out of his face. And, and he would go, and you don't know, you don't know. And he would start going through every player as we're all standing around. He goes, oh, you don't know, Crum. They don't know, Crum. They don't know what you're going to do to them tonight, Crum. And he would go through Martinez and Polito. They don't know you. They don't know how you're going to put the pain on them tonight. And he would go off about this and just wind you up. Tokyoga, oh, Tokyoga, you are going to be eating them alive. Look at you. You've eaten some of them already, Tokyoka. And so he would just go off and just encourage and these amazing, amazing pep talks before every one of our games. These preseason talks were the thing about Friday night. I pulled my yearbook to kind of remind us and remind me of, of how our game, how we did after these games, these games, how we did after these big pep talks from Coach Stanley. It was in the appendix of my yearbook. So I read it out and I looked at the Reedley High School football appendix in our yearbook. And listen to the scores. I mean, these pep talks, 30 to 18, 42 to 0, 16 to 8, 26 to 17. Then the second half of the season, we got serious. 55 to 6, 62 to nothing, 42 to 7, 28 to 6, 55 to 15. We lost every one of those games. (laughs) Everyone. But it wasn't the pep talk's fault. It wasn't Mark Stanley's fault. His pep talks were the best part. It was the only good part. It was the only positive part of Friday nights. Um, our head coach was moving out that year, and he had checked out. He was moving to another school. He checked out. Coach Stanley was going to take over the following year, and he changed up that whole program. And that team became awesome the year after I graduated. And um, he changed the whole program. But for that in-between year, it was brutal. His job was just to get us motivated just to get us motivated. The problem Coach Stanley had was that we didn't have all the players on that team that we needed. We had hardly any substitutes whatsoever. I played, now in American Gridiron, it's not normal to play the whole game like in rugby. You get to take a break, you get to sit down, have a little drink, get a little massage, go back in again. And um, so I played defensive strong safety. I played offensive receiver. I was on the kicking return team. I was on the kicking team. I never came off the field. It was exhausting. I was a tired, exhausted, bloody mess. Muddy, blood, everything, every single game. I was actually the prom king. I got voted the prom king. And they made me, in the middle of the game, during halftime, come out on the stand with the uh, prom queen. She's in her gown and her tear and all that. And I had to go stand up next to her, and I'm covered in mud and blood, and I got my helmet. And I didn't want to show you, but I looked at the picture in my, in my yearbook, and I'm standing here like this. I got my hand on my pads, and I'm going, 
because I was tired, I was exhausted, I was so embarrassed to be up there. We were probably behind by 30 points by that time, and we were just getting smashed, and I hated it. During timeouts, Coach Stanley would call you in, crumb, 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 he grabbed me by the face mat, and he's spitting at me, you are a warrior, you are a warrior, now get out there, and you destroy that kid who's three times bigger than you that got a professional football scholarship <laughs> that... Uh, that is playing the position you really shouldn't be playing in, but no one else is playing in. So you just go out there and try to survive. And that was our kind of timeout pep talks. We were exhausted, and the coach knew it. The team knew it. And we also knew that there were better, bigger, stronger, more gifted players in the stands watching us get smashed who didn't want to play. Uh, Coach Stanley's biggest challenge was to motivate those guys to get out of the stands and get on the team. And that's what he did the following year. New program. And they did great. We're studying the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter 4. It's a letter where Paul writes to a little city church in, in a city deeply seeped in black magic and the occult. They live in the shadow of the largest temple at that time, Temple of Diana. It's in a city where people are being driven by their own philosophies, by their own desire and religion. Religion was just a simple way to try and make your life better. That's what religion was. Paul started this little church oh, during about a two-year teaching stint, this group of people. And now he's giving them a pep talk. And he's writing, oh, no, you don't. Oh, you do not know Jesus. Oh, no, you don't. And, and you do not know what happens when you meet Jesus. See, he knows this church in Ephesus has the right leader. They have the right coach. He knows they have the right people on the team. He knows what history will later show. And this is a little pep talk that we're going to look at today. Uh, it's a pep talk that took place in, in that city uh, it took place in the Roman Empire, and it turned the Roman Empire on its head. Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to turn it to your flat screens or in your Bibles, we're starting at verse 7 today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Now, in the previous chapters, Paul has been telling us everything God has done for us, right? Who he is, how much he loves us, how he's redeemed them, and how he took a price. He paid the price to buy them back from the way they had been living and their own desires for a purpose that's greater, for a love that's greater. And now he turns a corner and he starts to give us this glimpse of what we can do together, right, together. And it's a pep talk for all of us today. All right, it's a pep talk for today. It's a pep talk for a team of Jesus followers playing right here in Hamilton. Not friends. So let's read. Oh, boo. He had me till that, and now I'm out. But to each one of us, grace has been given uh, as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And then he kind of goes on this ADD little rant. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? Who has, uh, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. There's a little quote in there. You'll see the quote in that passage. It looks like this. There's a little quote that um, He's quoting Psalm 68, verse 18, during this time. And he sets up this really, really cool picture. It's a picture, and he says, look, let me tell you about Jesus. He goes, you don't know about Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus, the one who ascended. He, as he was ascending, 
out of his grace, he was giving out gifts. He was giving out treasures as he was going. See, in Jerusalem, wherever Jerusalem is, wherever you're coming from in Jerusalem, you're like, you better give me one. Uh, Everywhere. There you go. When you go to Jerusalem, Jerusalem's always higher up. The one in the back. And Jerusalem, no matter where you're coming from, it's higher. It's, it's higher. No matter what angle, it's up on a plateau. It's up on a plain. And so you got to go up, up, up. And he's giving a picture of Jesus as a warrior. And as a warrior, he is ascending back into heaven. I'm not going to throw it at you, Don. I'll, I'll hand it to you like a gentleman. There you go. <laughs> and he's ascending uh, into heaven. And as he ascends, he's this great warrior who takes the treasures that he has plundered. There you go. And he's uh, handing them out. And it's a picture of as the commander-in-chief is coming through, he's, I'm just going to start checking them now. As he's coming through, he's throwing treasure out. And the people, the streets are lined up. Now, this is the commander's treasure. This is, he earned this. He won this. He fought for this. He can do what he wants with it. And what he does is he gives it away. And the towns are amazed. The people are cheering. And he takes his own gifts. And he just starts handing them out to people. John's like, you better. <laughs> so, and he's just kind of handing them out to everyone, and, the cheer, and everyone's cheering as he ascends back into heaven out of his grace. He just throws out treasure after treasure after treasure after treasure after treasure. How many did I buy? Out of treasure, out of treasure, out of treasure, until it's all gone. It's this beautiful, beautiful picture of who Jesus is, who out of his grace, as he sends back into heaven, he takes the treasures, the gifts that he has, and he gives them to the people. He wants everyone to have them, and he wants them to have them for a purpose. There's a massive purpose on what he's doing here. Paul gets into this pep talk mode. He gives this little nod to the psalm so people can picture what we kind of just did. This picture of the commander, the the chief, throwing out the treasure. That is his, giving out gifts graciously, out of his grace. See, he did not just come to earth. He did not just come to earth to set us free. He did not just come to us to give us grace, unmerited favor, uh, so that uh, we can be forgiven of our sins. He ascended back to heaven, and on his way out, he gave gifts. Grace has given us gifts just as he apportioned them to each one of us. So many times in church we talk grace. We talk about the grace of being in God's forgiveness. Uh, Grace is that simple thing that we can never deserve, right? It's just unmerited gift. We can never earn it. We can never hope for it. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we've been saved by grace. And isn't grace amazing? Isn't God's grace amazing? And that's one side of grace, one side of grace is that it gets us into the family of the kingdom. But grace has got this other side that empowers. It gives gifts to everyone, uniquely different gifts to everyone. Last week we started talking about unity. To what Paul writes about unity. How it's important for us as Christians to just get along. Just get along. But if you want to take out your note sheet start filling some stuff in, what he's highlighting here now is that We are one in Christ, but we are uniquely different. And that's by design. God designed it that way. It's for for a reason. I mean, can you imagine an all-black team of all props, just props? Or a rugby team of just wings? Or can you imagine an all-black team of just penalty makers and no penalty... I won't go there. But... (laughs) 
See, Paul's reminding us that you are special. You're special because of the gifts I have given you. Because of the gifts that God has given us, you are special. And you all have a part that you're supposed to play on his team. Paul's writing, we're one body. There's unity. Been talking about that a lot over the last few weeks in the book of Ephesians. But do you get how important you are to this team is what Paul's highlighting. Do you get the role that you play on this team? Do you get that we're one in Christ, but you're unique? You're uniquely different. See, grace not only gives us a new family, gives us some new responsibilities. In spite of who I am, in spite of what I've done, in spite of who I've done it to, in spite of the holes that I've dug for myself, in spite of everything that I've done, instead of not getting what I probably deserve from God, God gives me grace. And Jesus says, I got you back. And, and Jesus then says, not only that, I'll back you. And I actually want you on my team. I'll redeem you. The cross will pay all the price for that to happen. But I'm not going to just bring you into my kingdom to be a slave. You're my son. You're a daughter. You're a prince. You're a princess of the kingdom of God. You are family. But here's the thing about family. The thing about family is when you're part of the family, you have responsibilities, right? Rachel and I have the same conversations as any parent does. Like, what age should we start giving the kids chores? And I'm like, you know, Brianna should start washing the dishes. And she's like, Brian, she's two. I'm like, it doesn't matter. You're not a freeloader here. You're gonna, I'm going to charge you rent or you're going to help. What are you going to do? So your family, that's what family does. See, if guests come over, they don't do dishes. We serve them. We host them. We're hosting you. But if you're part of the family, you better clean up after yourself. And you better help set up beforehand. So guys, guys, if you're dating someone right now and you've gotten to the point where you go to that, uh, to your dates, your girlfriend's um, family's house and you get up to help with the dishes because you're still trying to impress the parents, right? As soon as you put a, fing- a ring on that finger, as soon as that happens, those dishes never stop. <laughs> they never stop. You are now family. And when you do those dishes, you no longer impress that family. It's just the circle of life. It's just what happens. Same with God's family. It's the same thing. If you've been here at HCBC for a while, you're not a guest anymore. You're family. Paul is saying, do you understand the role you're playing in that family? Grace has allowed you to be the family of God. And once we're in a family of God, we've got responsibilities. It says, Christ has given us a portion of gifts to everyone he saw fit. You have a role to play. And it's not about just sitting in a pew, being a guest on a weekend. you got a role. It's part of God's big strategic plan. Now, if you're new to this whole church thing, there are tests out there, inventories. We call them spiritual gift tests. It's real easy for people to start to think, you know what, I don't have any gifts I haven't done a spiritual gift test yet, so I can't get involved. That's like saying, okay, there's also personality tests like Myers-Briggs. And it's like saying, look, I haven't done a personality test, so I don't have a personality. It's not how that works. Do spiritual gift tests. I even put a link to one in the email, and and there's a link on the back of your notes there, so you can go do one, a really good one online. But you don't wait to do a test before you get involved. 
You just get involved. See, God's grace has not just allowed us into the family and now says you have a role to play in this family. And, and, and Paul, Jesus, me, no one cares if you've taken a test yet. You don't need a test to label it. Oh, I have the gift of service or the gift of healing or whatever. You're gifted. We know you're gifted. Dive in and see what it is. There's a role for you to play, and it has an eternal impact when you step into it because you count. That's Paul's big pep talk here. You count. And it's like Paul saying, do you get that? Do you get it? See, in the kingdom of God, there is a place that you're supposed to play. There's a position you're supposed to have. And, and this is the deal. Because we don't go to this church, you are this church. See, we need to change the way we talk. We need to change the way we think a little bit. Now, I know when people say, hey, what church do you go to? You say, I go to ACBC. I mean, that makes sense. I'm not saying the next time someone asks you what church you go to, you go, I am. That's not what I'm saying. I, that's not what you want to do. It's not going to work at work, right? It's not going to work at school. They're going to look, what kind of freak are you? <laughs> but you need to change the way you think about this, all right? You don't go to church. You are the church. That's why leaving church should be a very cautious, very difficult decision. Because it's relational. And it's personal. This is what the whole thing about Ephesians is all about. What Jesus has done in us individually is what God now does with us together. We are the church. I mean, look at verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Now, this is so important to get this part. There are just a couple gifts needed to run this building, honestly. There's just a couple of gifts to actually run this church premises, um, the, this location where we meet right here. And, and the church tries to hire people gifted in an area, teachers, pastors, that kind of thing. But that's not the church. That's not the church. That's the staff. See, the staff job is to build up everybody else that comes. So they know, I know, you're the ones that are going to go out. You're the one who's going to go out and build the church. You're going to be the ones that go out and build the body because God has sent you out. Look at your notes. I did this one for more of the creatives out there. You get to do a little drawing, all right? Church is a body. It's not a building. All right? It's not a building. You can just kind of draw it in there. We are, that is the pack and save stick man, by the way. We are the body, right? We are the one unit in Christ. We are the one united in Christ. Church is not a hierarchy. It's not like, okay, we have the senior pastor right here. They have the biggest picture on the website. And then you have their staff, and their pictures are a little bit smaller. Then there's key volunteers. They don't get pictures, but we kind of label their names. And then there's all those people that help, and then there's the rest of the people that just kind of attend. That is not the hierarchy of church. That's not it at all. Paul writes that the staff, those who work at the church, their job is very specific. Look at verse 12. It says here, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. See, what we do right here on a Sunday, on the weekends, this is just the locker room pep talk. That's what this is. This is just where I give pep talks. That's all we do. Church happens when you walk out of here. Church happens the other six and a half days a week. This is the locker room. Games are never played in the locker room. 
This is just where we do X and O's and kind of draw out the plans and where we're heading. This is where we go, okay, some of you um, are really making some really kind of silly penalties right here. You need to stop it and get back on track. Um, others of you are not in the game anymore. Your head's out of there. You got to get back in the game. Uh, some of you just need to be in the game. Some of you have been sitting on the bench and you're just kind of happy being a part of a losing team, right? 63, nothing, 55, 15. It's no fun. Let me tell you, it's no fun. Never played a minute. And that's why we're losing. And maybe the reason we're not winning as many people to Jesus as we could is because we need everybody to play their part. And Paul is writing, let me give you this idea of the church as a body, and that every part counts. And if you're a Jesus follower, this is where you attend, HCBC, whatever, you're part of this church, this body, but you're not part of this building. It's not a building. Our games are played in Dinsdale and Tamahiri and Fairfield, right? And Beers Court and, and Naughton and Flagstaff and Rotatuna and Fada Fada. That, the, the games are out there. That's why Paul, writing to the third largest city in the Roman Empire, is saying, look, all you Jesus followers, congratulations. You are in the family of God. You're not a guest. You're no longer a guest. This is no longer a spectator sport for you. This is not where you go on the weekend and watch and then go out and live out your life. He's saying you're important to God's kingdom now, right now. Christ did not just set you free, but he ascended. And as he ascended, he gave out gifts, treasure, and he doled it out as he wanted to and gave as many as he wanted to everybody. And Paul says, you got a role play now. You're important. And if you're not playing your role, there's a part of the kingdom that's missing. And you will see the church limp until that part is played. And that role may not be what happens here on the weekend. That role may be out in your office. It may be out in a cubicle somewhere. It may be on a job site or in a classroom or in the neighborhood. There's someone where you are next to during the week where you are uniquely wired, uniquely placed, created, made, put there for such a time as this. And that's amazing. That is not guilt-inducing. That is like, wow. That's like the most encouraging thing we could hear. So how do we know we're doing it right? How do we step back and say, okay, we're doing what Paul has written? How do we know we're doing church right? How do we keep score in this game? Remember verse 12? He kind of goes, we're preparing God's people for works of service that the body of Christ may be built up. Well, how do we know it's being built up? How do we measure that? How do we know we're playing this game and we're winning this game? Well, first of all, Paul writes, until, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every kind of, every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Now, Paul is saying, can I remind you, we're a team, we're a team. God has put us together. He has recruited us. He has scouted us. He's put us together, and we're going to make an impact in Waikato. But can I remember that you play against somebody? There is an opponent, 
And can I remind you that there is a force at work out there in this world to keep us from doing our job, keep us from playing our part. And he goes, and let me tell you, this is how. This is how you avoid all that evil, all that scheming, all that cunning, all that craftiness. This is how you make sure you don't fall into the traps that are out there as you go out to build up the church. And he says, number one, how do you know you're doing church right? You're growing in knowledge. Knowledge. But before we go any farther like that, let me remind you of some things we've said in the past. Knowledge is not what we know. It's not what we know. Knowledge in the Bible, wisdom in the Bible, wherever it's listed, it talks about how we live. It's how we live, how we respond to things that come across our path. Paul writes in verse 13, the knowledge of the Son of God become mature, obtaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's a great picture, great picture. See, we're not supposed to just be in the word. We're supposed to allow the word to be in us. To live it out. It's not just about being in Christ, in Jesus. It's about letting Jesus be in you. And allowing him to live out through you. Otherwise, you get caught up in winds and, and tossed here and there by the waves. And it's, it's, the danger is you can confuse motion and action with good stuff. Just because there's motion and action doesn't mean it's got depth. There's a danger of confusing action and motion with growth. Because the surface of the water might have waves and there's all kinds of stuff going on, it has nothing to do with the depth of the water. See, we live a day now with social media and easy access to philosophies from all over the world that we, as Jesus followers, need to study more and live it out more so that we can discern better or we're going to get caught up. Fake news, deep fakes, conspiracy theories, people getting their Bible teaching more from TikTok than they do from NIV or, or, or NLT. We get caught up on the latest internet prophet or the latest Instagram prophet or the latest gossip that's out there because we don't have knowledge because we're not living it out. And the two are really connected. Knowing and doing, they don't come apart. They're connected. Paul writes that discernment is knowing and following the owner's manual, the Bible. See, I don't just want my kids to learn stuff. I want my kids to mature. Uh, my daughter, Sydney, when she was going to high school regularly, three times a year, I would meet with her homeroom teacher, Mr. Hanosh. And he was the coolest teacher. Honestly, she had the best homeroom teacher because you'd step in and he goes, okay, we'll do about two minutes, get a half hour. About two or three minutes on how she's doing in school. She's doing great. She's got all these great uh, scores and grades. She showed me, he knows, she knows all this. And then he would spend the next 28, 27 minutes talking about how she's doing socially, how she's interacting with people in class, how she's getting along with the other kids, how she's showing respect for teachers and other people that are different, how she walks beside kids that are getting a hard time from others, how she steps up and walks with them instead of shunning them, uh, finding out how she honors the different cultures and people of her high school. See, I don't want... My daughters that just have head knowledge. I want them to grow in maturity. All parents do. That's what God wants for us. And Paul says, this is how you know if you're doing church right. Are you growing in maturity? Are you in the word? Are you in life groups helping each other, sharpen each other and how we live? Are you talking about this stuff? Are you living this stuff out? Are you studying it? Are you applying it? 
See, we get caught up with the commotion of life, the busyness of life. So much so that we could be led by the next spiritual fad or the next what's going on over at that church over there. But mature people calm the farm. Mature people know their part. Mature people know how to play their part. And mature people know what God has called them to do. Secondly, another measurement that Paul highlights, how you know we're doing church right, is thus. Are you growing in love? In love. Instead of getting caught up in the latest movements and the latest trendy teaching of the cunning and craftiness, instead of that, he says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Now, we've been reminded of this so much, right? Last year, this year, in the passages we've been studying. And I'm so glad as a church family, we get this. We understand. We show this. We show this the way we love one another. When you go in that gym and you see how many people are sharing how much good stuff to one another, you'll see. This church gets what it means to love. The problem is, is when you start loving out there and you meet the opponent. Now, let me get this straight. Our enemy is never another person, ever. There's good, there's evil, there's God, there's Satan. But it's never a person. The enemy is never an individual. When we go up and get caught up with people that are kind of heads wrapped around different philosophies, different schemes, different conspiracy theories, different religions, instead what we do, instead of fighting, oh, they're so bad, they're so evil, oh man, walk across the street. Instead, we speak the truth of Jesus in love to them. So in every conversation you have with someone who might disagree with you about anything, they walk away and they go, look, I don't get it at all. I don't know why they believe that stuff. But man, they sure did respect me and how they talked. That I can't, can't fault them on. Look, I don't believe what they said at all. But you do get a sense that they truly do care. I mean, they do love you. See, every week, our locker room sessions are not going to be focused on, you've got to love God more. It's always going to be focused on how much God loves us. That of what he's done for us, how he's made us family, how he gives us a role. Because the more and more and more we understand how much God loves you, the more and more and more you actually want to submit to him. You want to follow him because he loves you so much. You want to go the direction he asks you to do. You want to give two years of your life. And get on a boat with a bunch of strangers and go to West Africa. Because you trust him that much. Because he loves you that much. And that's contagious. What that does is that models for your sons how to be a man. That models for your daughters how to be a woman. That models for our kids the kind of marriages you want them to have. Because they see that kind of loving marriage in their own home. That models to our kids the kind of people they deserve to marry and they won't kind of go lower than that high standard of marrying someone who loves me unconditionally because God loved me that way first. Then there's this whole Christ is the head thing in here. And we get this kind of goofy real quick. Jesus ascended, right? He is the head. Christ is the head of the body, head of the church. He's ascended. So if his head is in heaven, where's his body? We are his body, right? His body is still down here on earth. Every Sunday, we wrap up our time together by praying together the Lord's Prayer, right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How does God's will get done? How does it get done here on earth? By his body, which is still here on earth. While the head's in heaven and the body 
You're looking at him. Body, 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 body. That's how he does it. Through us. That's why living out the knowledge is so important. That's why doing it in love is so important because God is love, right? It's not love is blind, Stevie Wonder is blind, so is Stevie Wonder God. That's not how that works. It's God is love, so he makes us like that. And therefore, the final measurement Paul gives us then is, are we growing in service as a result of that? Verse 16, Paul is talking about Jesus. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. Circle that. Highlight that. Put a little smiley face there. Star it up. Asterisk, exclamation part. Right on the side of your, of your Bible, that's me. And then sign it and date it. As each one does its part. That's how the team works. As each part does its work, we'll continue to make an impact in the playing field. Every week, we have so many volunteers that help make ACBC what it is. Volunteers that lead life groups, volunteers that lead women's groups and men's groups and senior groups and run our cafe and make coffee to help you stay awake during long messages like this. Uh, Help at the reception during the week. Run children's ministry, intermediate ministry, high school ministry, AV and tech, worship ministry, welcome teams, building maintenance, Shiloh maintenance. We need four times as many to keep up with what God is doing here in the lives of others. Not because we want to make our job easier, not because we want to become a big mega church, but the more people who see different people every week making a difference, serving each other, the more people stand back and go, ooh, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And then all of a sudden, another person steps into the part and the role that God has for them. Because the reality is, we're all masquerading. We're all wearing a mask. As a teacher in a classroom or a builder on a work site or a manager of a business, a parent of a child or a maestro at a hair salon or a barista at a cafe or a salesman in retail, we all are wearing a mask because we all know our calling is greater than what we just do at work. And what you do maybe for a student or what you do maybe for a parent or maybe for a client or maybe for a faculty member or a staff member, but you're a secret agent. And you're playing the role of teacher or whatever, but you got this big kingdom purpose in mind because that's your mission field, your work, your neighborhood, your family. It's your mission field, your classroom, your business, your building, your home, your job site. It's your mission field. It's not mine. I'm the pep talk guy. I don't go in the field anymore. I don't get the witness to anybody on staff. It's terrible. Hey, Rowan, have you heard about Jesus? Like, shut up. Shut up, Brian. I've heard of you. Know, exactly, right? It doesn't go anywhere. I could, I could probably move up our stats for the Baptist churches that way. You are gifted players in a big field. And whatever you do, whatever KPIs you use, please know that every single relationship you have matters. It counts for eternity. And you're playing your role out there, and you're playing it well. See, Paul's pep-talking on this passage. Do you know your role? 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 Jesus has put together a dream team here at HCBC. And he says, I want my dream team to play to win. Because there is a huge closing ceremony at the end of this big earthly World Cup. 
You find it in Revelation 7. After this, I looked. And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every tribe, every nation, every people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Our coach is Jesus. And he goes with you wherever you are. He's in you wherever you are. And he has put together this HCBC dream team. Because it's all of us. And it's a dream team when it's all of us. And history will show we will turn the white cattle upside down. Because that's what God's kingdom does. We don't make it happen. That's what he does when we all play our part. Are you growing? Are you loving? Are you serving in the role that he has for you? Do you understand you're part of the family of God? And once you're in the family, you're not a guest anymore. You're not a spectator anymore. For those of you just checking out Christianity, check it out. But for those of you who follow Jesus, are in the family, you have a role to play here. For some of that role, it's here in this building. For most of the role, though, it's out there. The good news is we've already won, and we're already undefeated, because it's God's dream team. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for giving this pep talk to us through your Apostle Paul, for allowing us to see that we count in your eyes, God, for allowing us to see that you've given each of us a role to play. Lord Jesus, may each of us leave this building today and go out and be your church. May we have this mindset that we are secret agents for you, where we work, where we live, where we uh, go to school, that we play different roles out there. And God, may you use those roles to impact this world for your kingdom in amazing ways. And may we get together and tell crazy stories of what we saw you do, because we simply played, played our part. God, please continue to use all of us here at HCBC to populate your heaven and to change Hamilton for you and your kingdom and have us all do it in Jesus' name for his glory and for his story. In Jesus' name, amen.